Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, patients, families, colleagues, and curious folk to the PM&R Report. Our podcast is brought to you by the University of Texas at Houston in conjunction with McGovern Medical School and TIRR Memorial Hermann Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. We bring you another segment of medical explanation, reviews of current literature, expert opinions, debates, and just plain interesting stuffs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the UT KMNR podcast. Your host, Nora Zula. I'm one of the second year KMNR residents at the McGovern School of Medicine here in Houston, Texas. We are so thrilled to have Dr. Cohen as our guest today. Dr. Cohen gave us an outstanding grand round last Friday about the vestibular system and its disorders. Dr. Cohen, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Hey, my pleasure. Nice to meet everybody. Nice to meet you. For starting off, can you tell us more about yourself and who's Dr. Cohen outside of medicine? <laughs> well, I'm not actually in medicine. So, um, I am an occupational therapist and a sensory motor physiologist. So, my undergraduate degree is in occupational therapy. Um, years ago, one got an undergraduate degree in OT. These days, it's a master's. Um, my doctorate is in motor learning, which is a combination of kinesiology and psychology, neuroscience, or focused on movement. And then I... Um, did a postdoctoral fellowship in the vestibular physiology laboratory because the research I had done for my doctoral thesis was about the use of vestibular information for spatial orientation. So I gradually moved over into the vestibular system. And I've been doing work in the vestibular system and sensory motor adaptation for most of my career. Um, I've been here at Baylor for a long time. Um, I came here to set up the vestibular rehabilitation service and to do research on um, vestibular disorders, treatment of vestibular disorders, and more recently, testing or screening of vestibular disorders and epidemiology of vestibular disorders. Um, so that's what I do here in the Department of Otolaryngology. Um, I used to collaborate with some people at NASA that... Um, finally went away when my collaborator retired. Um, but as you can imagine, there are some relationships between the kind of work that I've been doing for a long time on sensory motor adaptation and use of vestibular function and the kinds of problems that crew members have during and after space flight. Um, I've also done some work with an international group of therapists who are interested in vestibular rehabilitation people around the world, and that's been interesting to find out what other people are doing and help support them in their efforts um, in their home countries. Um, it's been interesting for me to learn about epidemiology, um, not only in the vestibular system, um, but 
in uh, people who have HIV uh, disease or AIDS. Um, and I sort of fell into that about a dozen years ago. So um, my work is kind of broad-based, but all focused around the same theme. Let's see, what else do you want to know about me? I've been in Houston for a long time, but as you can probably tell from my accent, I'm from New York originally. So sometimes I feel like a Texan, and sometimes I feel like I just got here. And I think, what? How is this possible? But it turns out I'm not alone. Um, let's see. I like music. I like walking or hiking. I like going to the beach, although I don't like getting sunburned. Um, I like art. If you haven't seen the new Kinder Building at the Museum of Fine Arts Houston, you definitely should go see it. It's really quite wonderful. Um, part of the reason I like art is I can't draw anything. Um, so I appreciate the fact that other people can draw. Um, let's see. I run a book discussion group. We participate in another book discussion group. Right now I'm reading Moby Dick, which is how I'm going to spend Thanksgiving working my way through a couple of chapters in Moby Dick, and that's an all-day ordeal. Um, let's see. I like to travel a bit, although, of course, nobody's traveling during the pandemic. And I feel fortunate to be here at the Texas Medical Center where there's so much great stuff going on. So, that's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. Uh, I feel like the vestibular system and its disorders is not the kind of things that are emphasized enough during school and in residency. Can you give us a brief background about the vestibular system and its main function? Well, you're right. Nobody learns about the vestibular system much in school. Um, the therapists get maybe one lecture, and I know in medical school, if you're lucky, you get one lecture. Otherwise, maybe it's a half of a lecture stuck in the uh, auditory system. Um, the vestibular system is a spatial orientation system. The role of the vestibular system is to keep the head upright in space. So you can see clearly where you're going as you generate a vestibulocular reflex while you're moving. You have postural control to keep your head upright so you can see clearly where you're going and help get yourself where you're going. And there are... Um, some vestibular autonomic um, modulation functions that help you pump blood to your muscles, stop digesting if you need to run or otherwise um, move around. Um, but the whole um, focus of the system really is um, to keep the head upright, to keep the animal oriented so you can see clearly, so you can um, run away from being somebody else's dinner or run towards something else if you want it to be your dinner. Um, so it's all about movement, in particular head movement. So people think of the vestibular system as the balance system because there are balance functions associated with it. But in fact, it's, it's other than that. Balance is a small component of it. But while we test balance um, for screening the vestibular system, in fact, in the diagnostic laboratory, what we really test is the vestibulocular reflex, and we don't test balance, which is really an indirect test. So balance is very complicated. It involves a lot of sensory and motor systems and cognition, a lot involved. Um, but it's not the same thing as this special sense 
literally the vestibular system is one of the special senses with receptors located on the head. Um, and this particular special sense, as I said, is really about spatial orientation. Mm -hmm. um, so people who develop disorders of the vestibular system, as I said in my lecture, um, have vertigo, which is the illusory sense of self-motion. You're sitting still, but you feel as if you're moving. And or they have oscillopsia, which you can only have if your eyes are open because it's the illusory sensation of what you're looking at is moving. And it's probably caused because people have abnormal eye movements. They have nystagmus. You know, I should be more or less sitting still and instead it's beating. Right. It's moving repetitively. Um, these are kind of spatial disorientation. People get blurry vision. Um, because of the decreased amplitude or accuracy of the vestibulocular reflex, they have um, decreased postural control, um, particularly when they're moving because of the decreased signal to the vestibulospinal tracts. And particularly in the acute phase, people get these um, vasovagal symptoms of um, vomiting or nausea and stomach awareness and sweating, increased heart rate and respiration, sort of a generalized sense of anxiety sometimes um, because there are vestibular projections into the autonomic nervous system that help modulate the autonomic nervous system. Um, more recently, we have also learned that there are cognitive effects um, on people with vestibular disorders, so they don't think as well, they think more slowly, they can't multitask, um, the classic example is the test stops walking when talking, but these people have difficulty walking and talking at the same time or doing two other things at the same time. People say that they um, think more slowly, they do everything more slowly. Um, maybe they have some situational anxiety. Um, and so this whole constellation of symptoms spells a vestibular disorder. So I work in collaboration with uh, physicians and a nurse practitioner in my department who specialize in vestibular disorders. Those otolaryngologists are called neurotologists, but I also get our referrals for vestibular rehabilitation from plenty of other physicians in the community, from primary care physicians, um, especially from some geriatricians and um, internists I know in the community, certainly from neurologists. Um, there are a couple of neuro-ophthalmologists who uh, send patients to me because they recognize the difference between uh, neuro-ophthalmology problems and problems related to the vestibulocular reflex and vestibular disorders. Um, occasionally, I get referrals from some other kinds of physicians. It's been a while since I had any Referrals from physical medicine, but um, it does happen once in a while. Um, because these patients are often not sure where to go, and they go to a whole wide right. variety of physicians trying to identify the physician who's going to help them. And sooner or later, we hope they get to the right physician who identifies the problem, does the diagnostic work, and then sends them into me for therapy as part of the treatment plan if that's what they need. Um, so my position at Baylor, kind of a double job, 
I spend part of my time providing clinical care, providing vestibular rehabilitation service, and the rest of my time, as I've talked about, um, is I do research on the system in a whole variety of ways. Sounds great. So uh, what are the, some of the most common central defibular syndromes and disorders that we may encounter as uh, physical medicine rehabilitation doctors in an inpatient uh, setting? And what role does rehabilitation play in the recovery of these patients? Okay, good question. Central vestibular disorders are notoriously complicated. Um, probably the most common central disorder is migraine. And there are people who get migraineous vertigo. Migraine um, is this complex um, neurological syndrome. And some people who have migraine have vertigo and other vestibular disorders and um, other symptoms of vestibular disorders. Um, some of those people eventually develop benign paroxysmal positional vertigo as well as migraineous vertigo. So I think a EMNR physician should be familiar with um, the identification of migraine. Um, a lot of my patients don't have the headache, by the way. They really, or they have very minor and only occasional migraine headaches, and they get vertigo at other times. But they have visual motion sensitivity, which is a kind of spatial disorientation. They have light sensitivity. They don't like these overhead lights. Um, they um, sometimes have sound sensitivity. Sometimes they have uh, the visual illusions that people with migraine get. So I think mm -hmm. you would be wise to familiarize yourself with migraine and go talk to some neurologists who have expertise in migraine and who um, can explain to you about um, vestibular migraine. There are medications that are used to control migraine. Um, and I understand they're quite effective, but a lot of my patients who are migraineurs still get vertigo. So um, in that case, vestibular rehabilitation is focused on, um, as we do with peripheral vestibular disorders, getting rid of the vertigo and improving balance. And always in rehabilitation, all of us are always focused on improving quality of life and independence and in activities of daily living if you're an occupational therapist. So I talk to people about turning the overhead lights off, maybe using task lighting. What's the best kind of task lighting to use? I talk to people about wearing a hat with a visor outside and sometimes even inside um, and um, sunglasses with glare protection outside. Um, here at Baylor, um, there's a very nice optical shop in the building where I work, and those opticians there have different kinds of sunglasses that they can help mm -hmm. people try out to see if that will help them with their light sensitivity. Um, and a lot of the opticians around town are capable of doing that. I mean, certainly our optical shop is not the only one. The optical shop at Baylor has a relationship to Christie Optical and Skrloff Tower. But there's been a lot of uh, work in the past 20 years or so about um, glare protection and different colored lenses in dealing with migraine. So I think it would be worth it for you to learn something about that. And as I said, I do talk to my patients about that, and occasionally I will take someone down to the optical shop or give them directions to get there. And I talk to my patients in general about 
safety in the home, use of augmented lighting, um, other things to do for safety, very important. Um, other central vestibular disorders, multiple sclerosis, which is a very nasty disorder, sometimes attacks uh, the vestibular system. And um, I haven't had really good success with MS. I don't know of anybody doing research on treatment of MS in vestibular disorders. I think it's the standard MS drill. We talked to the neurologist about that. Um, but there are people who have strokes who end up with pusher syndrome. Pusher syndrome, as I mentioned in my lecture, um, apparently resolves on its own. But there are people who are left with from a stroke that affects the um, posterior inferior vestibular projection area in the cortex. And the thalamus, these people have vertigo, and they do respond to vestibular rehabilitation with habituation exercises and balance problems. Um, somebody who has a lateral medullary syndrome, which is a stroke affecting the anterior inferior cerebellar artery, um, will have vertigo and balance problems and... Uh, well, the hoarseness and swallowing difficulty, I think, should be referred to otolaryngology for workup, possibly to speech therapy. A lot of that resolves on its own. And in vestibular rehabilitation, again, we work on uh, vertigo, habituation, and balance problems. What you don't want the therapist to do is have people using stacking cones. And I say that because once we were, in, we used to be in a building, um, in the neurosensory center, which is attached to Methodist Hospital, and some patient came over from the inpatient rehab, and I said, what have you been doing in rehab? And she said, well, the PTs have a gate belt on me, and they're walking me through the parallel bars. Where's your gate belt? And I said, well, hey, I'm not a PT. I don't have parallel bars, and see, I don't believe in using a gate belt, and explained why. And then she said, well, I don't like OTs. I said, why not? And she said, because they just have me using these stacking cones. And I felt, what on earth were you doing with stacking cones? So I called up the senior OT in the unit and said, throw out the damn cones. And <laughs> stop doing that to my patient. So apparently it was a therapist who was informed about lateral medullary syndrome. But these patients do respond well to vestibular rehabilitation. So that was just my beef about some stupid You can ignore it. Um, but these patients do respond well to vertigo habituation exercises and to balance therapy. Great. Thank you so, so much. Those patients, I think, do well. Patients with cerebellar lesions, it really mm -hmm. depends on the nature of the cerebellar lesions. Some people like, are not going to, to recover well, such as the spinal cerebellar degeneration. I do occasionally see people with Parkinson's disease. Um, Parkinson's patients, as you know, do respond to therapy for improving their balance. Um, other Patients with Parkinsonian-like syndromes, um, maybe not so well. It depends on the nature of the disorder. But I do a lot of balance therapy with people with disequilibrium of aging, also called presbystasis. I like working with those patients. They're fun. And they usually respond very well. So um, those people you won't see for inpatient rehabilitation, but you would certainly see them for outpatient care. The head trauma patients, you are more likely to see for inpatient Correct. care. Every patient you get who's had head trauma, you should be testing with Dixall pike maneuvers or sideline tests 
for benign paroxysmal positional vertigo. BPPV is a peripheral disorder, but if somebody's had a blow to the head, you want to check and see if they've got BPPV. And these patients are prone to getting BPPV in more than one semicircular canal, I warn you. Um, I've seen people with left posterior canal and right lateral canal and right anterior canal involvement. And you get these crazy patterns um, just because of the way forces are generated through the head. So you should check all three semicircular canals for BPPV. And certainly the BPPV is treatable. I've seen a number of people who discharged from tear, still complaining about dizziness, came over to see me. And, you know, they had so many other health issues going on when they were inpatient that that complaint about dizziness was probably attributed to other problems, and they were probably having lots of other problems, and yet they still had it. Um, So every patient who comes in, I think you should, you know, make an effort to test them for BPPV. And then I think these patients who have um, frontal lobe damage are at risk for not only, of course, cognitive problems, but also um, balance problems and vertigo. And there is some very nice evidence that these patients do respond to vestibular rehabilitation, albeit more slowly than patients with peripheral vestibular disorders. Great. So, uh, doctor, you mentioned briefly uh, your study about the between Alzheimer's disease and the impairments of the vestibular system. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, um, the National Institute on Aging came up with a request for proposal, a request for applications. That's what the NIH does when they want you to send them some ideas for research. And they were specifically focused, <laughs> excuse me, on the vestibular system because they realized mm-hmm. it was an area that was underfunded, but um, very important in people who are getting older. And um, I was aware that there were projections from the vestibular system, probably through the caudate nucleus, into the hippocampus. They're not very well studied, but these projections have been identified in, um, in rodents and I believe some other animals. I'd have to check the literature. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not clear what those pathways do. So the hippocampus is kind of a spatial orientation, spatial memory area, among other things. And I thought, well, having done, years ago, having done some work on the use of vestibular information for spatial orientation, I found myself wondering if you have an impairment in the hippocampus if these vestibular pathways are affected. Who knows? It's kind of a wild guess. So we're doing two things. I'm working with uh, the Alzheimer's group in the Department of Neurology at Baylor. Um, They do, you know, extensive neuropsychological testing, and people have uh, MRIs. And so we're working with people who have uh, minimal to moderate cognitive impairment. The people who have severe cognitive impairment, of course, can't follow the instructions for testing and certainly aren't able to give informed consent. So we're testing people with um, mild cognitive impairment who don't definitively have Alzheimer's, and then we're also testing people who have Alzheimer's with mild and moderate uh, cognitive impairment on the standard battery of diagnostic tests of the vestibular system. And the idea is to find out 
if they have relatively more, um, sorry, if relatively more of those people have evidence of vestibular disorders compared to the general population. And the reason I can do that is I just wrapped up a big epidemiologic study. Well, epidemiologists would say tiny study, but for me, a big study of several hundred people in the Houston area, including people in the age range that typically get um, Alzheimer's in the 60s to 90 group. And so I have some evidence about the frequency of vestibular disorders, um, at least as shown on the objective battery of diagnostic testing in the vestibular system. Um, so I know what to expect, or how many people to expect in their 60s and 70s at least. Um, so now I'm looking at these people with Alzheimer's to compare the frequency. And unfortunately, the pandemic hit just as we were getting going. So our recruitment's been um, more limited than I would have liked. But I'm hopeful that people will start coming in soon. So we're asking this question about whether or not they have more vestibular disorders. And if they do, that leads to a question about, is it treatable? Um Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. If it is treatable, does that help them become better oriented? I don't know, but that sort of leads to some interesting future research. Right. That sounds very interesting. Thank you so much. Grace, I think this brings us to the end of our podcast. Thank you so much for giving us such an incredible lecture and for taking the time to engage with us today during this podcast. We really learned a lot. Thank you to our listeners and stay tuned for the next YouTube Humanar podcast and happy Thanksgiving. I would like to make it clear that we make every effort to broadcast correct information. We will double check facts and assertions, but we do ask our listeners to realize that medicine is a constantly changing science and an art. One physician may have an entirely different way of doing things from another, and any views expressed are solely those of the person expressing them. We welcome any comments, suggestions, and correction of errors. We do not accept any money, services, or sponsorship otherwise from pharmaceutical, supplement, or device companies. By listening to this podcast or reading this blog, you agree not to use this podcast or blog as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you may be treating. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast or blog. Under no circumstances shall McGovern Medical School, any guests or contributors to the podcast or blog, or any employees, associates, or affiliates of UT Health be held responsible for damages arising from use of this podcast or blog. We are here to stimulate the dialogue. We are here to get the wheels spinning. We are here to spark new questions in the field of medicine. Thank you for listening.